to another cup of coffee and a keynote, a Let's Talk Science podcast hosted by Logan Petlack and Alec Koros. This is episode four, Game to Learn with Melissa Burns. Okay, so hello, hello. Uh, back with you again. Happy New Year. It's me, Logan. With me is Alec. Alec, what's new? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's already that time. It's 2022. Yeah. Fantastic. I guess we're recording in February, so we've spoken <laughs> in advance of this, so it seems delayed Happy New Year. But How did yeah. that happen, though? Really? <laughs> 2022. Yeah, I, I, I used to remember writing a personal check, and that's when it would shock me, but I guess I don't do that anymore, so... Not the so much transfer there is it a yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay, um, yeah, did uh, and I whether the listeners noticed like uh, prior to hitting record, we we were not like I I'm I'm fresh off of having a little bit of uh, some throat throat issues and maybe Alex sounds raspy I don't know but the bit raspy today yeah so New Year the, New Us right get the grunge Nirvana versions <laughs> of us today come as you <laughs> are very nice. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, so uh, hi everybody. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, this episode we are talking with Melissa Burns. Uh, the Coffee and Keynote was on January 29th, and it's in the Inspiration Corner found on Let's Talk Science's page. Uh, if you aren't already part of it, you probably are, but give it a Google. You should be able to track it down, make an account, and check it out. Um, this episode, yeah, we're talking about... Uh, was the game to learn with Melissa Burns. And we got talking a whole bunch about game. I feel like we got a little bit off the rails at some point. So that we got, got it deeps into like game and game based learning, which is what Melissa's all about too. And then we, we kind of came back to esports. but Alec, was there anything that stood out specifically for you? So I was generally fascinated by the entire conversation. I love what Melissa's doing with, uh, with gaming and esports, and, you know, especially around the engagement uh, the engagement that you know she's allowing her students to come in, the uh, connection uh, between students that you know all students do this from elite athletes to to you know what would be typically called you know the nerds I guess in schools, but all, all sort of you know all of those cliques uh, in in high school are sort of or, or middle school are brought together under one common theme of gaming, and I thought that was great. I also liked the the virtual world extension of you know how you know we need to recognize more strongly what students are doing in their you know in their virtual worlds and how we can connect that to uh, you know digital identity um, you know status I guess to some extent um, but really just a respectful identity getting students to to, to think differently about uh, digital footprints that they leave. Through gaming, and I, I, she, you know, Melissa talked about you know, rage, game, rage quitting, for instance. You know, um, the practice of kids, you know, throwing their, uh, you know, PS4 controller at the wall and being really upset, and you know, kind of dealing with that, dealing with that at school. We don't often talk about that at school, but it's a real problem with a lot of gamers. And so I thought, just there, there are so many intersections around digital identity, digital citizenship that I thought were evident through this, but you're not teaching it explicitly. You're teaching gaming, you're teaching, you know, how to um, connect with others, how to collaborate with others. So all of these things, they don't have to be explicit digital citizenship goals, but they're all evident in a curriculum like this. So I was really impressed by that. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, uh, like, I like that you mentioned, like, the athletic piece, and there's a whole bunch of different students getting involved. But, like, those, the the controller throws and the rage quitting, like, those are behavior things that, like, gaming is the vehicle to learn about those things, but it's not just a virtual exclusive um, 
thing that we see happen. Yeah. It might be, I don't know, exacerbated some ways because there's some anonymity and stuff in the virtual world. But um, yeah, definitely something that we I, I enjoyed us exploring. So yeah, so the, the you know the soft skills were really apparent there. You know, communication, team teamwork. You know what we call future ready skills, I guess. Creativity and flexibility. Um, the students have to you know they have to ultimately work to together to be uh, creative these days. Um, they're more likely to be in workplaces that require heavy collaboration rather than doing single things themselves. And so preparing students for that, you know, we get to it through traditional schoolwork, through, through group work. Um, but this, this seems a, a bit deeper, like a lot more, you know, deeper for the students, more relevant for the students to get them to work as a team, as, you know, as sports in general have played a really important role in, you know, teamwork, you know, throughout the school culture. Um, but I think this just provides another avenue for students to work authentically and relevantly in teams for common purposes and, you know, and, and the development of a number of these soft skills. So I thought that was great as well. Yeah, I, I feel like she, like, I can't remember what the specific statistical name drop was, but I think it was something like 97% of kids are playing video games and stuff. And when yeah. I when I compare that to sports too, and you think of this as maybe like an equalizer to get these different groupings or clicks kind of out of the regular clicks and kind of melding these different things together. Yeah. Um, I feel like Melissa mentioned too, um, like echo chambers, but like even in sport culture, there is an echo chamber that would exist that when you extend it into this gaming world as well, that starts to expand those different, uh, different ideas. Sure. So um, yeah. at the very end too, um, we, we got to see a little bit of Melissa's League of Legends game side come out we went through that little lightning round which i i'm excited for everybody to listen to um it, you did pretty good alec on some of the terminology <laughs> some and stuff, of them, but, yeah. yeah but i also i i like that you point out the nhl 94 so i gotta i gotta walk this back in advance so in you mentioned NHL 94. I was thinking NHL PA Hockey 93 where there was a behind-the-back thing. So you you say you were saying the Ronick trick. There's the Ronick trick. Would you yeah, bounce you off this, the boards? Yeah. Well, you, no, you do this sort of left-right, and it kind of leads the goalie, and, and you, you, you get it. You get it. You score every single time. Like, it's... Okay. I can, I can barely remember what it looks like. Yeah, I think it was featured in at least one movie that I remember where, uh, where the Ronick trick... It, it was a thing. It was a cultural cultural thing uh, uh 90 so if someone wants to google 94 you know ronick nhl 94 uh they'll find out more about this little you know cultural sort of icon i guess um you know but but i you know it's those games like that um that were the teamwork games with my friends you know we just hang out hung out um you know growing up that was in my 20s so i wasn't necessarily growing up at that time um but those, those games are really important you know today it would be something like i, I do the the wrestling game the wwe games okay. um some of the basketball sports uh basketball hockey games still which of course have, have sort of just increased exponentially in terms of what you see and you know what you see on screen and they look incredibly realistic these days but Sometimes a throwback to some of these early games where, you know, the graphics really weren't that important and, but the game was still there. The game was still as important as it, as it is now with fewer fancy tricks. I think that's important to go back to that because it was really just that, just that uh, not so much teamwork, but healthy competition, camaraderie. Um, a lot of that stuff was developed through gaming. Uh, and uh, of course, having that opportunity in school is really important as well. 
So I, I got to ask too then in advance before we go over to the inter- was there ever any Alec Coros controller rage rage throws oh. <laughs> back in the day? I imagine like Super Nintendo probably would have been the vehicle or Sega Genesis for NHL 94. Yeah, I've, I've had the, the odd rage uh, a little bit. Uh, I don't know, but you know, I might have thrown my ColecoVision controller or something, but those are notoriously not, not very well um, created as well or developed as early technology. Um, but yeah, you know, even, even now playing, uh, the PS4, I see my kids, you know, quite upset about losing, especially when they're younger, but over, over time, they seem to accept it better, um, over time, but both my boys in particular rage, he used to rage quit quite, quite a bit. Um, and I had those conversations, you know, you, you understand what it feels like because, you know, you're so committed to this game and competition is new for young children. Right. And so losing is difficult. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I just think doing that sort of thing in an environment where you can talk about it, where, you know, you feel like you can really discuss it. It's a common problem for many people, uh, especially young gamers. Um, I, I just think there's lots of value in something like that to, to take what, what children would view as a real authentic problem that is really difficult to control. I, I agree. I, I, I'm imagining a bunch of my buddies that I want to specific. I'm going to say Renee is probably one. My buddy Renee, one of the worst rage quitters of all time, but certainly <laughs> something yeah. he's, he's developed on. So, and yeah. I get. I, I know there's a bunch of emulation software out there too, Alec. Uh, legality, I'm not sure, but there may be. Maybe there's. Oh a yeah, yeah. There's some great sites. You, you find all the classics there. We yeah, have a little sure. tilt maybe at some time. Yeah. Up the old shell <laughs> 94. Okay. Um, so with all that in mind, um, I hope you all enjoy the interview. Alec, if we're good, I think we'll head off to that sure. now. All righty, enjoy everybody. Okay, so welcome to another cup of coffee and keynote. Our guest today is Melissa Burns, and with me as always is Alec Koros. Good morning to both of you. Um, I'm going to do my intros, though, first, Melissa, I guess, before I get you to say good morning back. Not that I want to hold you hostage in this conversation, but I guess it's an interview, so it kind of works out that way. But um, an absolute leader in uh, eSports, and uh, as eSport, sorry, Scholastic eSport in Canada, um, I guess founder, innovator, bringing this to Canada for us. Um, so founder of the first competitive eSport organization in Canada, uh, published a chapter in eSport Research, which is a wonderful read. Um, do you, sorry, what's the exact title of the, the, uh, it's esports research and it's integration in education. There we go. And it, it really is a good read. We were talking about it beforehand. It's really accessible. So any of you teachers out there, give it, give it a look. Cause it's an awesome read covers a bunch of the things that Melissa talked about as well. Um, huge advocate in gaming research as that paper also speaks to, and also calls for more research required in it. Um, music specialist and a teacher, right? Um, That's right. And then as well in the presentation in the coffee keynote that was last week there early, no, late January, um, she said she was not an aggressive gamer. I remember that quote explicitly. However, I do note right now in the Zoom call, you do have a gaming chair. So I, I'm calling that into suspect a little bit. I don't know how, but welcome, Melissa. Hello. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Happy, happy to do it. And Alec, hi. How are you? Oh, great this morning. How are you doing, Logan? I'm good. I'm good. So, Melissa, I'm going to direct it to you, Melissa, but then I'm going to say, Alec, you, you made very clear that you're like not super in deeps into the gaming world as far as I know. So, Melissa, I'm going to ask, why are you so passionate about gaming in general and gaming and education? 
Uh, well, gaming is fun. And what I love about gaming, especially specifically with esports, is that it's something that we can do in community with other people. It's something that takes what we would consider a traditionally very isolated situation where you sit down, and you play hours and hours of a video game by yourself, and you're learning all kinds of great skills but you're doing it in isolation. Esports takes it to a community space. And so it allows us a chance to connect with other people with similar interests and to challenge ourselves. So that's been really great. And in terms of education, we know how great gaming is for our brains in terms of its ability to learn and develop. And so that feels like a natural lend in. And when we're looking at developing relationships with our students and building that sense of community, what better way to start than with something that they are passionate about? Every day we ask our students to, this is a really long answer for an intro, but (laughs) we ask our students to come into our classrooms and we know that words are important, but we're asking them to learn this new academic vocabulary all day, every day. And they have a language of their own when it comes to pop culture and social media and gaming specifically. And so what a great way to show that we ourselves as educators are also willing to learn by entering into their world where they're the expert and where they feel valued and what they're doing matters. And so it's a really great way to bridge the gap of those relationships. Yeah. And I, I guess like a, a couple things that stood up for like, I, I, you just mentioned hours and hours of video gaming and Alec, I think you mentioned a quote from James Paul. I don't remember the James Paul. Paul G. James yep. Paul G. Yeah. Um, about uh, like kids know so much more. If you actually like, I I'm obviously butchering the quote right now, <laughs> but, um, but I, I appreciate like the esport is different than just video gaming, right? Cause it's very much that competitive aspect and to make it like similar to what teachers may experience conventionally, it's like, it's not dissimilar to basketball or any other school sport where you're, you're taking advantage of those competitive atmospheres. It's not just, we're going together and playing a game and for that extended period of time, it's taking advantage of some of those opportunities as well. It's right? really taking advantage of both worlds because you're developing all these tech skills and these pieces of digital literacy that are available to our students through the world of video games, but it's also bringing in those community and uh, teamwork and sportsmanship aspects of traditional sports. And it's married, it's providing this marriage of those two worlds in a really beautiful way that really sets our students up for success in a very changing environment. We're entering a new world where the line between virtual spaces and real life, what we would call like the physical world it's getting ever more blurred especially like with the recent research coming out where they've been polling um gen z and looking at they are showing that they're having just as many real meaningful life moments and experiences in the digital world as they are in the physical world and so that's not something that we can ignore right right um and i guess to to work in uh alec uh your your expertise into it a little bit like Things that Melissa talked about, like is, I guess, what is the, what information are you familiar of or what are some of the overlaps that you identified in terms of what you personally explore, Alec, that is like very seamless into the gaming world? Well, well, I think, as you mentioned before, James Paul G is really important here. Uh, He's a linguist, but he he spent a lot of time uh, looking at uh, games and game theory. And he he posited the idea that, um, that, Language isn't just something that just happens inside of our heads. It's actually a sociocultural phenomenon. So when we're thinking about literacy, we have to think about, uh, you know, the social groups that people spend time with. Obviously, we're speaking to someone else, but the more practice that we actually have being with each other, speaking with with one another, 
um, and communicating um, in the, the vocabulary, vocabulary, <laughs> vocabulary that we are most familiar with is really important. So I, I really think it's important for kids to speak with confidence. So if they're if they're um, you know if their confidence comes from knowing Valorant or knowing uh, uh, you know Pokemon or whatever it might be, uh, it's re- it's really important to to um, you know harness that. And to really get behind it, and I and I love what Melissa is doing uh, in terms of really allowing students to um, use their expertise and also link it to curriculum and all of the other you know, the deep learning pieces that uh, she's provided. And she we, we both read a, a paper by Melissa or a, a chapter actually, uh, and it really speaks to. Uh, some of the deeper learning that can happen out of video games. So I was really, really happy to read it. And I, I think of students in my class, like when I was in the classroom much more um, actively, like some of the students who maybe didn't necessarily engage as much in that curricular content. If I, if I asked them about like the Witcher or like some sort of get like the show or the, yeah. or the game, but if I asked them about a game, they could write me papers and papers. And Melissa, I think you mentioned that in your, your presentation as well, how like students can create these like, large huge creative writing pieces or essays and stuff in the spirit of all these creative works that they've experienced in gameplay so yeah it really is a it's a way to kind of an entry point i guess is the phrase that i'm trying to find that meets them on their absolutely and it's a really great way to really draw our students in in terms of giving them a sense of mastery of some of a skill that we're trying to help them learn in the classroom obviously a lot of my time is spent in the middle years classroom but whether it's creative writing in terms of fan fiction and stuff like that or they're actually doing expository writing where they're looking at actually analyzing data and like looking at gameplay like past and future like making those predictions as to what's going to happen next and how they should change their gameplay. Like it's not even just that verbal piece where they're they're actually able to put that onto a written document and show me their understanding. And then I can take that piece and go, okay, so see how you did this, see how that came really naturally, that those same analysis skills that you used here, we're now going to transfer into a different spot. If we need to spend some time in this place where you understand the subject really well for a little bit longer so that you feel like you've got mastery of that now writing skill and not just of the subject area, then we can transfer that writing skill into those newer subject areas so we can develop some of that research as well. Right. Right. Um, so I, I guess to walk it back a bit, like I, I want to paint, paint, uh, get an idea of both your gaming background. So like me right now, like as I, I would consider myself, like I was World of Warcraft and playing MMORPGs and stuff when I was in high school. And then as soon as I became a teacher, the availability of time plummeted and then had a kid and then it went even more down that it's not much of a thing anymore. But, but like there obviously had to be some passion here in terms of gaming for you, Melissa. So what was kind of your lead into it? And Alec, I'm coming to you next in terms of your gaming background as well. So. Um, well, like I am definitely not a hardcore gamer, but I am also very old. So I actually started by playing like floppy disk, like actual like floppy disk on a dock. That's <laughs> that save that save icon. If anybody's wondering what an I or a floppy disk is, that's that save icon. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Those big ones. And so I learned how to type in the DOS code so that I could actually like play like uh, Wheel of Fortune and stuff like that when I was like three years old on my parents' computer. Um, and I just kind of gained, honestly, at my house, we didn't actually have any gaming systems. So I grew up not having a console at home. I would play at my friends' houses and I always enjoyed it, but it wasn't something I was super like 
invested in. Um, but then when I was in university, my at the time boyfriend, who's now my husband, uh, was really into esports, and that's when I was introduced to esports. And so we, because I had been working. Um, in performance and I was living in a different city every couple of nights for several years, he and I would continue, like we would talk, but we would game together. So I would be in New York and he'd be in Winnipeg and we would game for several hours after my shows were done. And then I'd be in a different city and it would be the same thing. So that was something that we bonded over. And then when I moved back here so that we could get married and I switched into teaching, uh, he had already started back in 2012, uh, a competitive esports team at his high school he was teaching at. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, I didn't do anything with it, of course, until 2016, where I found myself now in a middle school. I had been a high school specialist. I was now teaching in the middle school and just wanted to feel at home. So I decided to give it a try and then absolutely fell in love with what it did for my community of students and, and the learning potential that I saw in it. And that's kind of the rest is history. Now, me and my kids, we play video games together. So like even this past Christmas, my six-year-old and I uh, and my husband, we were all playing Pokemon Unite together. So he was on the Switch and my husband and I were on our phones and we were on a team together. And it was just so much fun to be able to share that experience with our next generation. Right. Yeah. And Pokemon Unite, that's a, that's a MOBA, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like League of Legends, but with Pokemon characters. Right. Okay. Okay. And I, I part of the, I added to the lightning round. I want to go through some gaming terminology at the end. So our <laughs> listeners, right now, if you don't know what a MOBA is, we're going to cover it afterwards in the end. But um, yeah. so what, I, like League of Legends, was that the, was that the lead in game specifically for you and yeah, for me and Chris, that's what it was. Okay. Um, that's where we started. But in terms of bringing it into middle schools, that's obviously not a game that we're yes. going to bring into middle schools. Um, so for middle schools, we actually started with Super Smash Bros. Uh, and that that's really where the journey started. Right. Okay. So I, I got to ask, and the, we, we met previously in the week, so I, I want to yeah. come back to it. But I want to ask, who's your main then in, in League of Legends? Or are you, are you top <laughs> laner, bottom laner, or jungler, or what? I oscillate, between, depending on who I'm playing with, um, I will either play uh, support for my husband. So he and I will bot lane together. Um, and so I usually end up playing uh, Soraka or Sona are usually my go-tos. Sometimes Nami, if she's more meta at the time. Um, and then for mid lane, I, doesn't matter whether he's meta or not. And right now he's not Ziggs. I love Ziggs. Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. And there we go. That's good. I wanted to get in that aspect to it. And we talked a little bit about the show Arcane that came from it too, which is a wonderful show, but I want to give Alec an opportunity to speak to Alec. What's, what's your gaming background to it? Cause I, I know you have some experience with Minecraft EDU, which I want to ask you about later. You have some interest there, but what's, uh, I mean, like Oregon trail. Can I throw that? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it goes back to like things like Zork uh text-based games and uh, like it's, it's been quite some time but I, I started on my uh apple II and my coleco vision so it was it was donkey kong and pac-man and and uh i really was into load runner on the apple II. <laughs> load runner it was probably one of the most creative games i can think of but the you know later on in my you know 20s it was like nhl 94 uh, you know, with the Ronick move, if you if they sort the of behind the, the net, back and forth, and absolutely, yeah, yeah, I know we're good. <laughs> I can still do that in my head for sure. Um, <laughs> and then, but but you know, with kids, you know, it's it's everything. It was Skylanders for a long time with with the kids, and and my my son in particular had a great time with that. Now he's into, of course, he was into his Fortnite piece, and now he's into Valorant a lot. 
Um, I've got kids with, you know, Animal Crossing that are doing a lot of that. I do a lot of Pokemon. I'm like level 41 or something like that. Still Not playing the deal. game. <laughs> yeah, it took a long time to get to 40. Now I see people with level 49 and and it's like, wow, like how? Are you going to go Pokemon Go? Pokemon Go, yeah, yeah. Okay, because one of my quests right now is I need to add a new friend. So oh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> we're going to hook up yeah, after yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, so, but it's like Pokemon Go I really like because it was just, you could just be sitting there somewhere waiting in line and you can, you know, pick up a few Pokemon. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was one of those games. I don't have to spend a whole, you know, a, a long time. Like I, I find... Um, my boy spends a lot of time with Valorant and he's yelling at people in the middle of the night on a school night sometimes. So I have to come down there and like, who are you yelling at right now? Um, <laughs> so it's, but, but they're, you know, they're having fun. They're doing teamwork. He's finding new friends. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's all mostly positive except for the sleep and sleep issues. I think so that's about it. And I, I want to circle back to that eventually because I, I will want to ask for, uh, I guess, both of your expertise, but Melissa specifically in terms of how do you address some of those. Actually, you know what? Let's let's ask about it right now because I, I would say like screen time, loss of sleep, um, video game addiction, I think is something that the WHO, like World Health Organization, threw out maybe five, six years ago or something like that, I recall. that. Um, how how do you, how might you address those concerns with parents and admin? I know you mentioned in the presentation admin, like research is like a big way to go about it, but um, yeah. So something that's really interesting uh, that really separates the groups within esports between those who play for fun and those who actually do well and why the one of the reasons why the varsity programs in particular where we're playing competitively and not just community based like friendly games when we're getting into competitive stuff is that you really do have to train like an athlete. And so something that becomes really important is you get to highlight those professional gamers, like the kid, the teams that are playing for the LCS and they live in a team house and they have expectations. They have a certain number of hours that they have to train physically every single day. They have a set diet. They're not just sitting there eating, you know, Doritos and drinking monsters. Like they have to watch like caffeine um, addiction is a really, really big problem amongst a lot of gamers because of those late nights. But when they're training to actually play and compete at a professional level, they can't be buying into that kind of lifestyle because the grind itself isn't going to make you a better player. You look now at becoming much more strategic in your coaching and your practice itself. It's not just doing the same thing over and over again. It's analyzing what you're doing and then making those changes that actually improve your game. So we look to programs like in um, Montreal, there's the Montreal Esport Academy, and they are really outstanding what they do where here in Manitoba, we have um, a hockey academy where kids go to school for half the day and then they spend the other half of their day training in hockey very seriously. So they do their dry land training, they go on the ice and they do their uh, drills and, and scrims and all that kind of stuff. But then they come off and they're looking at strategy. They do that, but for esports. So these kids come in with their main game and their main characters and they, they go to take regular classes for half the day. And then they actually have to do like spend two hours in the gym and they have to go and then practice specific techniques and skills and drills in their game and go through footage and looking at all these different elements. And it really brings a level of professionalism into the mix. So when we take that into sort of those more like, public school areas and it becomes just a regular varsity program, then we have expectations um, in terms of 
healthy player behaviors. So one of the things that we do that kind of helps, maybe not so much in the physical sense, but in the social sense is that uh, we don't allow players to change their screen name uh, mid-season. And the reason for that is that one, it allows us to become familiar with who we are seeing on screen from the teams that we're watching. Um, And it also allows us to see if they are behaving offline, like when they are behaving, playing on their own time and not just when they're in the league with us. Because a lot of times what will happen is students will be playing and on their own time, if they're not holding to certain standards within the game on their own time, they get banned from the game. So really common practice is for kids to make a Smurf account, a second account that they can go in and they continue playing um, that hasn't been banned. And so then they usually will oscillate between those two different accounts. And so this allows us to kind of keep that in check. So that brings in that social piece. Um, But yeah, I know for a lot of the schools that I've worked with, they also will partner with their phys ed program and say, okay, before we get into the gaming, you've got to go do laps in the gym for 10 minutes, or you're going to do some conditioning training for 10 minutes, or we're going to be doing wall sits while we're doing our game right now and stuff like that um, to bring in that uh, particular aspect. Right. And I, I, I love that as it like, and I, I even think too, when you mentioned like the keeping the screen name the same, it's like if Tom Brady changed his name mid season or something like that, like the, I don't know, I'm sure people could figure out that it's still Tom Brady, but when you're in that online virtual realm, things shift a little bit, but even keeping track of like stats and you talk about like preparation for games, it's like we're against, and I'll name drop my thing was Lodge Lopal. We're against Lodge Lopal this week. And he's like <laughs> really good at this. And, yeah. um, that like that adds another aspect to it that would be very similar to the sports thing. So I uh, or sports in general. So I I really like that once again as another entry point that like helps make sense of it. And um, when talking about the physical requirements as well, I remember reading something. It was something like after you're like 22, 23, 24 in terms of like the actual professional esports circuit, um, you're already your brain isn't able to like keep up with the rate of speed or like the movements per second or whatever it is that are required to be competitive. So like, I like that tie in too, that there is a physical aspect that's going to work in that health as well. Um, that is, I would say one of the primary concerns of parents. So, um, I, I love guess, the digital identity uh, perspectives on that as well. Just like thinking of the consistency and the integrity of your identity. Um, I, I just, I love that idea. And I think it just really can carry some weight that, um, it, it, it's not something you can turn on and turn off and be a bad person. That's at one point that your digital identity is an extension of yourself. So uh, that's that's an eye opener for me. And I, I guess to Alec to work work you as a, as a parent here and talking about your your son yelling on Valorant late at night. <laughs> um, what what I guess in your head what is the how do you reconcile that or what is the the sweet spot for you that you find with it working in your your role as an educator as well? Like what's uh. Yeah, well, you know, the, the integrity thing is really important, of course. Uh, monitoring what what kids do uh, is important. Monitoring how much time they spend online uh, is really important. And having those conversations, um, knowing when it's becoming a problem physically, I think, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of wear and tear and, and priority. Like gaming is addicting uh, in, in many ways, like by, by, by design, right? Um, it, it's meant to be like that. Uh, not so much as homework, right? Homework is not necessarily addicting like gaming. So you're 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 looking at these two things and and uh, trying to compare um, the commitment to time that's necessary for those things. And I and I love that you can 
um, you know, in, in terms of integrated gaming into your homework, that that becomes a great thing that you can have a win-win situation. But the reality is you still have a number of other uh, subjects as well that you have to deal with. And so you have to learn time management skills. And so that's constantly a conversation in our household. Um, you know, we, we even you know, think of gaming as somewhat rewards, uh, I guess, and bringing in some time. So you do an hour, hour and a half of homework and you can spend 20 minutes on, you know, X game or whatever else, or you can spend time in a tournament or whatever it might be. But, you know, thinking of the balance is really, really important. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, so you mentioned this in the presentation, but I'm going to segue over to eSport Canada a little bit. But um, you mentioned like the, the big priorities is accessibility. Um, so you mentioned free-to-play games and cross-platform games. And um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll come into, I want to like summarize what some of the games are available with that. But since we're still kind of talking about some of these like potential issues with gaming, um, knowing video game addiction too, um, is there any conversations about um, those games where there are those like pay-to-win type formats and stuff and how do those kind of conversations come about and I'm, I'm sure you both have something to contribute on that front or what's the the research there as well well and that's something that's really uh important about the work that we're doing is that so many of these games whether it's a pay to win component like students will recognize pretty quickly when there is a pay to win component and they will start to complain about it um because it really separates those who are able to pay for it and those who are in a socioeconomic position where they're not able to win that game. And you can see the immediate drop off in terms of interest and playability for those students. But something that is a little bit more, um, a, a little less obvious that we do have regular conversations about. And obviously with eSport Canada, we intentionally avoid games that have pay to win components. Like that's uh, pretty much a given. Um, when it comes to the less obvious things, we have to have conversations with our students about um, marketing and how some of those free games really have elements of microtransactions built into them that as you become addicted to the game and you know that you can invest time to unlock characters and there is no advantage to someone um, paying what they are asking you for in those microtransactions is the skins, the, the mods that you like, the visual aesthetic uh, modifications that you can add to your game and your characters that really, um, it, like, I don't know if you've seen the show, um, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, um, but he really gets into, it's very fascinating. I love it. But uh, he looks in, into all these like really intricate worlds where it's like sneakers, for example, are this absolute like subculture unto themselves where Status it's like, it's true, it's functional. Everybody wears them. But there's this like collector's item kind of competition that happens. And so then all of a sudden you start to want to buy these things. And so I have students that in the past who I know like are accessing help for like meals at school, but are spending hundreds of dollars on these microtransactions that don't give them an advantage in the game, but are allowing them to get that cool new skin or that. And when I say skin, I mean like the costume that your character's yeah, wearing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some vocabulary there. Um, but Because <laughs> that can sound weird at first. Um, but looking at those costumes and those different like elements that are don't impact the game, but really are targeting our students more so than adults. Like adults aren't as prone to pay into those kinds of things, but our students do because there is that sort of social competitive edge that's in there. And I've had the conversation with my seven-year-old, you know, thinking about, you know, what's a pay to win feature in Roblox versus, uh, 
know, versus a, a cosmetic or a, a, some sort of other feature that, you know, a cool plane or something that doesn't actually have any effect on the, on the game uh, is pretty great. And, and what you mentioned actually gets, uh, you know, the collector's idea really gets you into the world of NFTs where, you know, a lot of young players are, um, you know, creating these features outside of Roblox, but, you know, a whole subculture into this metaverse where these new games are, um, are, are looking at developing these, you know, having creators develop these NFTs and um, collecting them, making money on them, um, oh, you know, prizing value. It's quite amazing to see what's ha actually happening in the N NFT space. Yeah. Oh, my students have made me an entire wall in my classroom of NFTs. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. What great skills, though. Like uh, NFTs in, in general are going to be something that adults don't have a clue uh, clue about, but uh, we'll, we'll need to pretty soon. Yes, absolutely. And I guess for any listeners, like, include, like I feel like I was Googling NFTs last week, but those are non-fungible tokens, but they're basically like yeah. just a very specific piece of artwork that like is representative of you, but that is also associated with um, like cryptocurrency or am I? Well, blockchain. Blockchain, there um, we go. Sorry, thank you. Blockchain. So it, it could be an artifact. It could be, you know, a, a pair of shoes, uh, a digital pair of shoes that uh, that you create that only has a, you know, a single owner. Uh, one copy of it, or you can make 10 copies, and then you are sort of a registered owner on the blockchain. So uh, it, it's different than, you know, sharing a you know graphic like a JPEG around to uh, a bunch of different people. You actually have, you're considered an owner and you can, uh, you can resell it. You can keep it till it uh, gains in value. Um, but it's, it's, you I get guess. get in a lot of trouble if you screenshot it. <laughs> you do, right. Yeah. So, but it's, it's really an interesting space. I mean, yeah. and, and it's not just that there are, um, you know, games now where you buy land and you buy houses and you, you know, you basically are the owner of these different worlds. And some of these might be Ponzi schemes in some cases, but uh, at the same time, there, there's some really neat value and some really neat utility to uh, some of these NF NFT blockchain based games. And that's a really interesting tie in in terms of looking at um, financial literacy with your students yeah. as well, sure. because they're creating their own digital economy. And like, how crazy is it that these kids are creating their own economy that can actually transfer into real life dollars as well? Um, sure. And so really being able to identify that and talk about it with your students so that they understand um, what it is they are contributing to and what they're interacting with is so powerful and has so many tie-ins to the real world. And what I really encourage educators to do is to stop making that distinction between the real world and this digital space, because that like even the fact that these NFTs can be used as real currency now it's no longer a different thing. Like this is like this, this is this. Yeah. And so that's something that's really important for educators to really just change their vocabulary and the way that they're thinking about these spaces as well. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that as well. Cause I think there is still some, maybe some lingering like um, negativity towards the game, but like it's meaningful to the students and therefore like, or meaningful to a lot of people and therefore it has value and therefore it's like something that needs to be explored. And like you mentioned, like I even think of like the social financial literacy side that like there's a, 
capitalism unfolding within the virtual world now with all these different things that are created there that like there's a wonderful piece to start talking about that in my social like my late middle year social class that's like very relevant like justin bieber whatever it was bought that nft board ape or something for like three four million dollars or something like that and it's like that's there's relevant there is like curricular connections wherever you want to look for them and stuff so so well, yeah and just before the break i had actually done a unit with my students where i could have them do it whether they wanted to do it with social media or youtube or video games or whatever but we looked into um the concept of aggregate data and so we were looking at um how marketing agencies work with different companies to target ads and how it becomes a symbiotic relationship and also looking at the different laws like my kids all know about the gdpr they all know about the ccpa they know about the why those pop-ups come up except all cookies and why that exists now and why that has only just come up in the last couple of years and so what was really cool about it was that i had them look at they had to pretend to be a marketing agency so basically my school was doing like sort of the shark tank assignment. So they had to like do the shark tank. So I was like, I'm going to do it a little differently. You're going to be a marketing agency and you're going to take an actual product that already exists on the market. And I want you to look at who is this, who's going to be the user of this product, but who are you trying to sell it to? Who is actually going to be the purchaser of this product? And I want you to do some market research into when are they online? What platforms are they using? What kinds of colors are they attracted to? What kinds of fonts are they attracted to? And then we went into Canva EDU and they had to build a marketing campaign and then pitch it to the rest of the class, their whole campaign based on what they did. And it was a cool project and I wasn't sure how much of it was going to transfer until January. We were getting ready to watch, I don't know, like a TED Ed video or something and a Grammarly ad pops up. One of the kids is like, oh, another Grammarly ad. These are the worst. And one of my other students was like, yeah, but they're realizing that our IP address indicates that we are coming from an educational institution and it's school hours. So they know that we're more likely to be using this product. That's a targeted ad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there we go. That's it right there. And so when when you're signing up for all these different games and different platforms and different accounts, the reason they're taking your information, even if you're not paying for an account, is because it allows them to use that information. We talk about the difference between reading those privacy policies. Are they selling that data or are they sharing that data? Because those are different things. And when they're sharing that data, they're using it so that they can see, well, when are people that are born in the same age bracket as you, that, that they're the same age as you and the same gender as you, when are you online? Where are you online? And how do we target our ads to you? Because that's what creates that relationship and feeds into the economy piece. And so we, we were able to have those conversations because of bringing games into the classroom. And I, I guess to segue from that, um, you, you mentioned leaders and girls who game as something you're involved with too. And I guess I want to kind of segue into that activism piece that can kind of be born out of this. So we're, we're let we've, I love the examples you've provided as well. Like there's some very like real pick up and use next week in your classroom for any teachers that are listening right now to like work in gaming and stuff. But how, how did the, um, how did the segue come about into like taking advantage of this into a way that, um, you can use gaming for activism. And you, the example you used was with Minecraft EDU. Yeah, so the nice thing about digital spaces is that, especially specifically sandboxes. So when we're looking at something like Roblox or Minecraft or even like Scratch, we're building in a sandbox. 
Um, they're doing slightly different things. And essentially the idea of a sandbox game is where you are able to create and explore and play and destroy and, and it doesn't necessarily have an impact. And so what we're really doing is we're actually working backwards with that one where a lot of the work that I do is taking gaming and digital literacy and then fusing it into the curriculum. When we're using those sandbox games for like the Girls Who Game program, we're taking the curriculum and we're putting it into um, that sort of sandbox space. So we're using the game to really foster uh, like a little bit more creativity in our curriculum exploration. So when they're doing that, we're able to develop all of those research skills. So with that particular project, um, they were asked to look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and they had to address, they had to build a community of the future that addressed specifically clean, affordable energy and gender equality. And those two things don't feel like they would naturally lend themselves to a single building project. So the girls had to get very creative in terms of how they were going to address that. Um, but they went into it and they decided that rather than building this sort of utopian world, they wanted to actually make a change that would impact where they were. And so the school that I was working at that year was a very low socioeconomic school. Um, I think it was more than half of our population was either uh, refugee, immigrant, or indigenous, low socioeconomic. We had over 20% of the population was um, from an unemployed household. It, it was a very, like, to be able to look at how do we make these things happen in that space was really impactful and very empowering for them. And so they were able to do a bunch of research into what kinds of um, changes they could make to the physical building that was built in 1953 and looking at what is the difference between retrofitting something that already exists versus building new and how do you combat that? And then looking at how do we actually support women in our community? And so one of the things that they identified as they were spitballing different ideas is I was like, well, what about daycares? And so they were thinking about daycares and they're like, oh yeah, because they had come from positions where a lot of them from a very early age have to help with childcare in their homes. And the reason that that happens is that there aren't very many waiting uh daycare spots available in our community. Like even for me to put my children in daycare, I have to be on a waiting list like a year in advance to actually get a spot and then it's quite expensive. So a lot of times for these moms, if they're going to a job where they are working at like in a grocery store or as an office assistant or something like that, they have to work a lot of hours to even be able to pay for the daycare spot that they've been given. And so there was just this inequity in it in that it allowed the men in the community to continue working typically. Obviously, sometimes you have the men that are staying home with the kids, but usually it's the women. And so they were able to continue getting those years of experience, which put them in a position to get raises sooner. That puts them in a position to get uh career advancement sooner than the women and not because they were less skilled. It was just because of that. It was almost like a penalty for having children and staying home with your children. And so they wanted to look at how do we find a way to subsidize childcare 
for our community? And how do we reuse the spaces that we have to support that better? And so they, like the parking lot was oversized and they're like, we could do this and this. And so they, they were able to clearly articulate what it was they were trying to do, how they were hoping to accomplish it. They got to interview all kinds of people and develop their ability, not only to formulate questions about concepts they maybe didn't even really understand, but also how to listen to the answers so that they could adjust what they were doing and what kinds of questions they should be asking. So it was was a very powerful or empowering experience for all of them. Um, And for myself, I was left feeling like absolutely overwhelmed by what they were able to accomplish um, and what they were able to show. And we've seen that many, many times where these really creative and innovative ideas come out of this ability to play. You're taking these research ideas and sort of that idealism of youth, and you're allowing them to mix those in a play space where they can try and they don't have to worry about what happens and they can take it apart. And it's really beautiful what can come out of that. Yeah, and I I, I, I think of like whiteboards as an example of something that like, um, teachers now emphasize like it's one like use a whiteboard because then they can erase their mistakes immediately and you can put new things up. And when I think of something that Minecraft as an example of something that is very like familiar to students and like something where you can take stuff apart, put it back down, do whatever the heck you want to do with it. Like it's very exploration based too in terms of whatever the heck you want to do with it. And there's no repercussions or no like negative negative setbacks from it. So um, Alec, you have a bit of a background in Minecraft EDU as well, correct? Is there is there I think you're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, you're muted again. (laughs) Wait, I hit you with an ass to unmute. There it is. Now you're good. There we go. It it turns on and off for some reason. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I do have a little bit of a background in, uh, in in Minecraft. Uh, you know, a lot of it's from just tinkering with my kids, but, but, but I, what I love about what was just said uh, around the whiteboard analogy, for instance, and it's it's not just the mistakes, but instead of you know writing a long essay about how to create a sustainable community, you're actually developing a sustainable sustainable community, giving the skills that you actually know. You can show and demonstrate to uh, to your teachers uh, what this might look like, and then you can walk through it, uh, like with the screencast. You walk through, you articulate exactly what's happened, and I've seen. This happened with uh, a number of students who are kind of bored with the old, the old sort of uh, assignments that they were often given because they don't necessarily want to articulate it and uh, you know write this up. And, and of course, writing is an important skill, but so is the oral storytelling of walking through something that you actually created. So I think you know thinking in, in a number of different sort of deeper learning uh imperatives i think it's really important to start thinking how how students can uh demonstrate their learning in a much deeper way and i think that's what minecraft really can do for sure absolutely and something else like i know we're moving away from specifically esports but looking at how we can utilize these different kinds of things the thing that's really cool about um like minecraft edu is that they can create it, but they can also export it and have it 3D printed. And to actually have something tangible for them to hold is really, really cool for them to actually have them see that, like, this is what I created and this is the solution that I've made. And here it is. 
is really, really outstanding. And another thing that's been really cool that I, I personally haven't had a chance to dig into, but a few of my colleagues have just based on what we have access to is looking at taking some of our science experiments, like in the grade seven curriculum, where you're looking at like stress and pressure, and you're looking at like, how can I build a bridge out of spaghetti or whatever it is, instead of taking that traditional, like build it out of spaghetti bridge assignment, build it in some of those digital spaces and then throw it into an Oculus Rift and be able to walk over your bridge to be able to actually use those virtual reality spaces to experience what you're doing is such a cool way to elevate the learning and make it feel much more real. Sure. Yeah. And I, um, I get like, I, I, I love the, the giving it like, this is what I've created. It is something tangible on Minecraft. Yeah. is like a, is one flip. I think too of like other like game creation engines and stuff like unity and unreal engine, which I think unity, that was the platform that made cuphead, which I think was a Saskatchewan based game. That's like wildly popular. So shout out to cuphead. But, um, <laughs> I think of like those, like they're, they're also free to use as well. That like, if, if this interest is developed there, there is a lead in that like there's animation skills associated with it, coding skills that I think you mentioned in your presentation as well, that like a lot of these things scaffold to, uh, and I think you mentioned in your present, like future ready skills, things that are very applicable and relevant to the, to the workforce. Not that that's like the be all end all or anything like that, but definitely some things that are, are relevant to, to what they're approaching in the future too. Absolutely. And when we're looking at those transferable skills, like in one sense, it can be something as simple as looking at like what kinds of development skills can you have in those technical spaces? So like developing games, like I have, uh, like I'm not an expert coder in any way, shape or form, but I have my students building RPGs right now so that when we finish our um, ancient Greek and Rome unit, they're going to have a a game developed so that they can go and they get to interact and show their knowledge and their learning. And so everybody has a different job. I've got the kid who's really good at art and doodles all the time, who's responsible for the artwork for the RPG. And then I've got the kid who's super techie and like it forces those groups to desegregate themselves and work with other people so that they can come together to create this thing. And that's one of the programs that we're working on in eSport Canada is sort of this beyond the game um, aspect of things where we can even turn those kinds of experiences that are beyond the game. It's game development, it's cybersecurity, it's coding, all that kind of stuff, broadcast and media, and even add an element of competition to that as well, where we all of a sudden introduce, um, we're hoping to introduce a game jam here in Manitoba. And so have that in partnership with New Media Manitoba and Ubisoft, who has their headquarters here, and have those kinds of experiences drawn in as well. But beyond that, even if these kids never, ever go into the tech sector, they're learning digital skills and digital literacy that will, and, and just 21st century skills that will absolutely help them no matter what, because really when you look at any of those job websites, they're looking for like in education, we repackage it as like uh, global competencies and 21st century skills, but it's soft skills. You go to the, like any, like go to LinkedIn and they're looking for communication, collaboration, like can, agency. Can you do this on your own? Can you meet deadlines? Um, those are the skills that employers want. And that is exactly what these kinds of opportunities allow our students to do in a very real way. Yeah. 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 I so I guess to to segue back to esport a little bit, esport Canada. Um, so you mentioned some of the games you put, so like Brawlhalla, League of Legends, um, Legends of Runeterra, which is a League of Legends, but it's a card based version, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
then Super Smash Bros. But that would be more like local area network, like just in your yeah. in your hub at your school. But Rocket League was another one as well. Uh, what are some of the other games? And I, I intentionally name drop these one more time. That hopefully, if there's a teacher or a, a teacher slash parent that's like, my kid plays Rocket League, and I've heard my students talking about Rocket League, so like maybe there's my entry point in the school. But yeah, absolutely. Um, so the games that we support are going to be games that are have been vetted in terms of content, but we also are always looking for privacy policies, terms of services. So we're very, very strict about that. Um, we're also looking at those ESRB ratings. So making sure that like um, we never offer any like uh, rated M mature games, even for so our high school no students. No war zone. There won't be any war zone <laughs> played. So like, don't worry, parents, teachers, there's, there's going to be none of that. <laughs> Yeah, we're never going to be offering those kinds of games. Um, and like there are a lot of games on the market that uh, teachers get really excited about. Like, for example, Knockout City is one that teachers get really excited about because it is it kind of the idea is that it'll scratch the itch of those sort of third person shooter kind of feel of games. But it's dodgeball. So there's no guns. There's no blood. There's nothing. None of that is happening. However, if you actually go into schools and ask the students who plays Knockout City, crickets. <laughs> and so then when we were as an organization looking at what games we're going to offer, because we are also limited, one of the most popular game um, genres is first person shooters, those FPS games. We had considered doing that, but we realized that what is the point in offering a game that none of our students play? And why would our students want to play a game that isn't actually a first, like it, it's like trying to be a first person or a third in that case a third person shooter trying to be a third person shooter but isn't actually a third person shooter and you have to pay for it it's 30 dollars to buy it when if you go into valorant it's free like why would you pay for something when you can play the actual thing for free um and so that is something that we take in, into consideration so always start like the place that we always start is we ask our kids what are you playing and then we go from there and try and figure out what we're able to, what, what makes sense for the space that we're in. And so I talk to my students a lot about like, it's not to say that, you know, none of us play Call of Duty, but does it belong in our school? And we get to have that conversation about when and where certain games are appropriate. So, yeah. But definitely Rocket League, League of Legends, Legends of Terra. Um, we had thought about doing Hearthstone for a while, but again, looking at that pay, pay to win, win yeah. yep. pay to win component, and also it's Blizzard. And if you know about the gaming industry, mm -hmm. yeah, so enough uh, <laughs> <Neff> said. Uh, <laughs> there's some harassment allegations that are associated with Blizzard right now. If anybody needs to know the background, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Theoretically, it should turn around now that uh, Activision has been bought by Microsoft, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, so there's generally speaking within the gaming community, most people have been avoiding like even Overwatch, which has been one of the most popular esport titles for many years, um, has really fallen out of favor because of Blizzard. So, but, but yeah. I like this that this sort of takes the um, focus away from gamification and just using games like gamification is taking something that you know if we think about like lemonade stand from way back in the 80s it was an explicit game to help you you know have a little fun but it was really about learning how to market and and you know uh, think about budgets and that sort of thing and it was a fun game 
But you could do that stuff indirectly um, through uh, any one of these games that you've mentioned as well. So I love that the focus doesn't have to be specifically on the learning. The learning can come specifically from something that actually is quite challenging and quite fun for uh, for students. So I, I love that how that narrative is sort of twisted and turned turned away from explicit types of games. Uh, focus specifically on learning that kids aren't necessarily interested in at all. Yeah. And one of the things that we do is rather than looking at gamification, we're using it primarily as game-based learning. Um, And something that we do really explicitly uh, encourage our, our teachers to do because it is what you make it right? If you end up just going in and bringing games to your kids and you just play games, yeah, they're going to learn something. Absolutely. But by actually labeling the things that they are learning and drawing attention to the skills they are developing and encouraging that kind of dialogue and discourse and vocabulary, it becomes significantly more impactful because it's one thing to have your kids working in a group and go, oh, look, they're developing their ability to collaborate and communicate. It's a whole other beast when you actually look at, am I assessing that? And am I communicating that this is what I'm assessing to my students? And do they know what we're looking for? So like, even when my students do classroom presentations, we create our criteria for success together. We look at this is what the curriculum is. So these are the outcomes that we have to hit. But what makes a good uh, presentation? What kinds of skills are we looking for? So when we're doing group-based learning or esports learning, we're also labeling it and intentionally calling it out like that was really great leadership. That was a really great uh, play analysis. That was really great collaboration. You weren't just like following the ball you were actually calling out your positions like you said like I'm taking back post go forward you know and so when we're doing those things we need to be intentional about what we are actually seeing I I love that and it actually makes me think about uh, the DAOs and blockchain the decentralized uh, autonomous organizations where the community makes all of the decisions and I think uh, that that I mean, just to take us off uh, course for just a second, I think there's a lot of uh, potential there in thinking about uh, how decisions are made by a community and owned by the community. And and obviously, when we're thinking about curriculum, perhaps we can't get get to the point where we have students designing curriculum, but we can certainly get them to understand when we're actually meeting those outcomes. They can help us with identifying leadership and all those other characteristics you just mentioned now. I think that's a really great point. I I like to, like, with the game-based learning versus gamification, which there's a good piece on in the research article again as well, so I'm going to be plugging that one more time for everybody. But um, I I would want, in terms of the sell to teachers, again, like how to to get this, like, I think it's less cumbersome as well. Like, trying to come up with how you're going to gamify something, there is that, like, learning curve at first of, like, getting a familiarity with, like, Discord. Or I, I met with Melissa earlier this week about Microsoft Teams and using Microsoft Teams as a platform to get communication going as, instead of Discord because our, our, our division doesn't want access to Discord right now. Um, but um, when I think of that, yeah, it's, it, it, it's less cumbersome. And Esport Canada as well, like hit up Melissa and you can get a consult and like you can get familiar with those things. And once you get familiar with, if it's Discord, if it's Twitch, um, if that's the direction you're wanting to go with that you want kids like working on doing some like broadcasting kind of skills with it or just getting vaguely familiar with some of these games, like that the, the 
the load in which you have to learn isn't nearly as big long-term when you have just a couple of those like common gaming apps, I would say, as opposed to having to recreate a new game to gamify, uh, gamify the learning in your classroom. The games exist, use what's there. And as you should, uh, any of our listeners should already have seen, like there is no short of curricular connections that you can work into from it that like, um, yeah, like variety of different topics, whether we're talking about digital literacy, financial literacy, information literacy, all, all the works or getting into social identity, worldview, all that stuff. So economics, yeah. Um, what I want to ask as part of that then, so uh, I feel like I'm leading you into this. So if I am a new teacher who was wanting to start, what are some of those um, apps or like tools would be probably the first ones that you say like, hey, here's the ones that we're going to learn about or get familiar with? Um, first thing I always do is talk to your students. Uh, that's the step number one, talk to your students, find out what they're playing, find out what they're interested in, find out what, what piques their interest. Um, and that's the first place to start because if the students aren't going to buy in, then why are you doing it? <laughs> um, so that's always the first place to start. Afterwards, have a conversation with your administrator. Um, make sure that they understand what it is. Even if you can't necessarily fully articulate it, um, there are resources available on the Eastport Canada website. I've also um, sat in on some of these conversations as well, where uh, the teacher wants to do it, doesn't feel comfortable being able to articulate it themselves. So I jump into a Zoom call or a Teams call with them. And I kind of just help like facilitate that conversation as to what this is and what this could look like for your school, depending on what your school's goals are for the program. Talk to IT. We have a document on our website under resources that has all the ports that need to be forwarded and opened for the various games. Um, so especially for teachers that aren't necessarily super tech savvy, it's hard to even know what you're supposed to be asking for and what you should be looking for. We've done all that work for you. So it's all set up. Um, and then uh, make sure that you're getting parent permission form signed. But I would say start small, always start small, like just try whether you're able to play from school or remotely. Like I still am playing remotely from home with my students. Um, so figure out where you're able to play and then just do like one practice a week and see how it goes. See who shows up and kind of start from there. And once you feel that students are going to be the experts, if you're not comfortable with that kind of platform, you can absolutely still do this. The students are going to be the experts. Let them lead it. You're just the facilitator and you're the person who's calling out those teachable moments. So when you see those behaviors that absolutely happen in in the real world uh in our digital spaces that you're calling them out and that you're correcting them so you become a facilitator until you become more comfortable and then you're able to do a little bit more and once you have a little bit more of that base of self-efficacy in your own ability then reach out to other teachers see if you can start setting up a couple of friendly matches to just to test the waters before you jump into a league. But one of the worst things you could do is offer five games in your first year. Don't do that. Pick one and <laughs> go with that to start. Uh, and and just don't be afraid to jump in. Okay. Okay. I like it. And I guess like to emphasize again, like having looked at the eSport cat, like it, there is a lovely step-by-step. -step. Here's the steps that you should go through on the page. 
Um, here's the research that backs it that you can help sell it to your administrator or talk to your administrator about it. Um, and as well, the IT, the IT piece as well, I know will be appreciated by my, by my IT team. So, yeah. And for our high schools, um, right now we have, uh, we have, um, partnerships with a few different colleges and universities in Canada. So there is also the potential for scholarships out of this as well. So if you're competing through eSport Canada, that is something that is a possibility. And we are actually just in the process of switching platforms right now, um, so that, uh, scouts from other universities will be able to also be able to uh, see who's really standing out and be able to offer scholarships there as well. Sweet. That's cool. Crazy. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be getting one, but I'm the, the picture of like <laughs> high school Logan, I'm like, I wouldn't be getting no scholarship for that. So yeah, no. um, unless there was one for Mario party for the N64. <laughs> Where it's completely yeah. luck-based. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great at Monopoly too. Um, okay. Um, so uh, what did I want to ask next? I wanted to ask, um, <clears throat> it kind of comes back into that, um, and I want to come back a little bit to the girls who game piece, but um, mm -hmm. it, in the gaming community as well, and we talked like not necessarily Warzone, but you mentioned like facilitating some of that. Ha has there been any um, instances in your experience? And I think of like, like in gaming, some of the like, wider issues like there's hypersexualization of uh female characters specifically in games mm -hmm. as an example how how might like have you experienced any big dialogue or conversations around with that in uh in your learning as well or your, your education yeah. with that oh absolutely and honestly that was one of the uh driving factors for me at the beginning of my program was that I saw that our students are going to be, I, I saw many of my students at like in my first program who were struggling to make it through the school day. They didn't want to be there, but they went home and they spent hours and hours and hours in these online spaces. But having been part of gaming communities myself, I know that they have the reputation rightfully earned of being extremely toxic, whether it is towards sexual orientation, uh, race, gender, like you name it. If you are some sort of minority they can pick on, they will. Like I've been in games where like there have been all sorts of slurs thrown out. You must be blah, 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 based on how you're playing. Right. Um, and even just the fact that our students, especially in junior high, where they're learning how to handle their emotions and um, competition, if they're not involved in sports competitions, they don't really have the opportunity to be in a position where they're in that high stakes, like adrenaline pumping situation where as soon as they start losing, how do they manage that? How do they win graciously? How do they lose graciously without becoming unstable? How do they keep themselves regulated in that? And so when I was doing this, I, I realized that if we're not doing it at school, they are going to be doing it at home. They are going to be rage quitting. They are going to be um, participating in it or experiencing that kind of discrimination. So why not bring it into school? It's all the more reason to bring it into school because then we have a chance to change the way the conversation ends. Then we have a chance to when we see that coming back to that idea of identifying and labeling and and naming it when we see it when we see those behaviors come out in play that we can then address it and we can change the way that conversation ends like i've had kids who were so dysregulated when they started losing in a tournament that they were like wanting to quit and i've had students who have quit and then i've had to have conversations with them about how do we regulate ourselves how do we handle this um, and it's absolutely incredible to see how once they've had that experience and they've seen what the expectation is, how that starts to blend into what they do on their own as well. 
and how those skills of being able to regulate themselves, it's that social emotional learning piece, how that starts to translate into how they're playing online. They'll come to school and they'll tell me like, oh, so-and-so was saying this or this, but I handled it like this. You would have been so proud. Or even just this past Thursday, I had, um, like I'm at a new school this year. So I've had one group of students that played the fall league with me. This is their first experience doing uh, esports at this school. Um, and so they had, we did a whole bunch of learning. And so then we had new students joining them for this Brawlhalla season. So some of my Rocket League players are playing Brawlhalla too. And the ones that had been with me in the fall already knew what the expectations were. And they were, as soon as we got into the game, they were helping each other out. They were helping out the new students. So they're calling out like, oh, that was really great. Or, oh, you should try this next time. And they became leaders instantly because they already had ownership of that space. And they understood what we had redefined what the rules were. And that's really, if we want to see this change, like, I experience it all the time myself as an adult looking on social media. I got rid of Facebook because I couldn't handle, I couldn't handle it anymore. It was like nobody remembered how to think or behave anymore. Um, And so if we want that dialogue to change, if we want that behavior pattern to change, we have to teach these students how to do that because they're not going to figure it. Some of them might, but a lot of them won't figure it out on their own. So we have to help them with that. It's a skill. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I have in the notes here too, like, and it, it connects it, but there was uh, Felicia Day, an actress, but uh, was the person I heard first speak to it, but there was this Gamergate. And in the in the research piece as well, you mentioned how like, in ju- like males statistically play games more on average, but like the, the community that does exist online, it is very um, toxic. And like, when we talk about the, the vehicle that is gaming to get people involved into STEM education and like gaming being a thing that, um, being so toxic can actually make it very not inviting um, yeah. for many different minority groups, but in, in this case, specifically females uh, with the Gamergate um, yeah. whole scandal piece. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, like it, it really is something that when you when you get the students actually getting some involvement in these spaces, it starts to bring about that change. So I, I, I really like that piece and I think it, it is very important. And I love the Facebook analogy too, that like, in the past two years specifically, when we look at misinformation that's been associated with uh, COVID-19 and whatnot and like everybody sharing pieces, it's wonderful that everybody's found a voice, but it's also starting to like segue into like, what's the what's the way we model and educate and how should the voice be delivered in such a way that promotes dialogue in a way that is inclusive for everybody. So, And that um, social echo chamber is something that we have to talk about with our students as well, where we realize that it's not necessarily that everybody agrees with you. You've just found a corner of the internet where everybody's speaking the same. Um, (laughs) And so that's something that they have to think about. And the nice thing with really opening our students and even just putting more pressure by wanting to bring this into schools, we collectively as a profession are able to put more pressure onto game developers to demand change in the games, that women be less sexually objectified, that there be more representation in games. And even just in the last two years, we've seen a significant uptick in the number of games that are are being represented, not just in terms of is there racial diversity in the game, but what kinds of roles do they play in the game? What kinds of positions do they have? How are they portrayed? Are they just background characters or are they main characters? If they are the main character, is it a tragedy story or is it a heroic story? Like 
how are we, what are we viewing when we're going into these games? And so the demand and pressure we're able to put onto developers is so much greater when we're bringing it into schools, because then they also see this as a potential uh, profit for them, because if they can start to make money by bringing these games into schools, they have to be able to change what they're doing in order for that to happen. I love the uh, the ability for, you know, bringing up something like GameGate, uh, GamerGate, uh, to, to some detail um, would also help to prepare students for things like targeted harassment, uh, uh, doxing, like all of these uh, internet phenomena that exist that implicate uh, our students' lives. Um, I, I think they're so important that we have these frank discussions around these things. Uh, and, and uh, well, you can go into all sorts of levels of detail um, with something specific like that, or you can, you know, you could be somewhat vague. In any case, uh, students are going to learn a lot about what it means to be on the internet and to um, not necessarily as gamers, but as just having an identity on the internet and what are some of the you know, potential hazards online. And I think that's just such a, a much better way of do it, speaking it, uh, speaking about it in less concrete terms. Uh, getting to the actual point themselves and uh, you know, speaking frankly to students. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to shout out too, I noticed in the video as well when they recreated the school, but I remember seeing the pride flag as well on the wall. And I think of like, um, I don't know, that being something as well as you talk about like shifting and putting pressure on developers and stuff like being inclusive, it is it's, it's yeah. good for everyone, but it's uh, there's also a financial benefit to it as well for them that when there is more voices sharing it, uh, it does it does bring about change in the community. So, yeah, I love that. Um, I'm being cognizant of time now, so I think I, I only got one more and then we'll go into the lightning round. Um, actually, I, I think maybe we're good for the lightning round. I think we're okay. I don't know, Alec, <laughs> do you have anything else on tap before we go into it? Oh, I think it's good. It's good timing. Okay. All right. So um, ideally as fast as you can, Melissa, but if you got to elaborate, you got to elaborate. Um, it's good. The questions will get more targeted by the end. We'll, we'll give okay. you, we'll soft toss you some to start up and then it'll get more, more <laughs> set up afterwards. Okay. So in light of this being another cup of coffee and keynote, coffee, tea, what's your first beverage of the day? Coffee. Cream, sugar, black? Uh, I don't judge. <laughs> Usually, a couple creams, a little bit of honey, actually. I like honey. Okay. All right. Um, what was your favorite subject in school? Mm, ELA. ELA. Okay. Um, what is currently your favorite movie or TV series? Ooh. Um, we've been enjoying Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Okay. All right. And I heard that there is a good tie-in piece to The Mandalorian to, there, too, if uh, if anybody's not clear. And but, yeah. for uh, Unreal Engine, they did a bunch of the graphics for The Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Okay. There we go. Alec, what's hot in, uh, what, what's your hot show or movie right now? I'm re-watching Dexter. <laughs> Before you know. watch the new stuff? Uh, well, yeah. I, I, I don't even know where I am. I, I watched the first couple of seasons. Now I'm on season five or six. Um, yeah, I know it puts me to bed at night. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what's your, what's your go-to hobby? This is probably pretty clear, Melissa. Uh, actually, no, it's probably not what you think it is. Okay. Running. Running. Okay. Right. <laughs> Running and anything fitness. I, uh, actually I'm an avid runner. I ran a full marathon, three halves and 10k on my due date and a 5k the day I delivered all while pregnant. Oh uh, yeah, I, I love running. I used to be a spin instructor. If you can get me in the gym, I, I will lift as heavy as I can. I love it. Okay. 
Hey, I love that. I like a little flexing on us too. I like when my wife does it, she like, and carpentry. Okay. I also really enjoy carpentry. That's my summer hobby. Okay. Okay. Um, what's something? I'm a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I do everything. <laughs> uh, let's go with window seat or aisle seat on a plane. Window. Window seat. Okay. Sweet or salty snacks? Combo. Com- okay. All right. Like mixed together or just like? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, cats or dogs or neither? Dogs. dogs. Sorry, man. Dog. No, it's okay. Um, given your, so favorite instrument, given your music background. Ooh, that's hard. Uh, I like so many. Um, you know, what? I will say my voice. That's voice. my, I have a degree in opera and that my voice oh. is my instrument. Okay. So my next question would be a song you'd sing at karaoke. Um, <laughs> and so I'll ask that first. Okay, song for karaoke. Um, probably Mr. Brightside. Nice. <laughs> hey. Either that or anything by Journey. Okay. okay. Awesome. Can, can you can you display some of that voice quick right now or no? If I hit you with a okay. All right, all right. Okay. Um, desktop, laptop, or tablet? Uh all of the above. All of the above. I okay. usually have multiple screens open. Okay. okay. Yep. All right. Uh, what is your favorite game currently and all time? Ooh, okay. Currently, I am loving, oh, so many, so many. Okay, we've been pl- replaying Ocarina of Time because uh, the N64, right. like, plug-in for Switch just came out. So I'm playing through Ocarina of Time with my, with my six-year-old. Okay. Uh, all-time favorite game? Ooh, probably... This is a super nerdy one. Um, <laughs> Skyrim. It was the first game that I spent like okay. endless hours playing. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent trying to beat that stupid dragon, the elder dragon at the end. Oh my gosh. But when I finally defeated him, oh, it felt so good. <laughs> Accomplishment. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Um, so I already asked League of Legends who your main is. So I'll, I'll leave that one. What's your yeah. highest rank in League of Legends? Have you hit platinum? Uh, no, I am honestly, I'm not very good. I'm usually like silver two. Okay. <laughs> it's usually where I end up. <laughs> okay. And Alec, do you have a favorite game of all time? Load runner. Load runner. Honestly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why it's just so simple, but uh, yeah. Okay. I would have thought you'd be a Starcraft guy. No, <laughs> I like that. Word that was, that yeah. was me and high. I'm sure I could think of other ones, but uh, yeah, it's hard to, well, NHL 94. Right. <laughs> Anything that's, you know, against your buds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This one, like, I, I assume you have Steam, Melissa. Yeah. And I know something in my friend group that you never ask someone what their Steam hours played on a game is. But could you share what game has the most Steam hours played on your Steam account? You know what? I actually don't play Steam very often. Okay. okay. I'm so usually say- in Epic games. Okay. I, I usually play through Epic. So that's okay. usually where so I, I end up. Either that or just in one of the Riot clients. Okay. So. Okay. So you're safe from that question. <laughs> you don't want right. to know those hours. Okay. All right. So to that end then, are you like PC, PC Master Race type where you console, Switch, Xbox, PS, PlayStation? What's the... Oh, I like both for okay. different reasons because I play different kinds of games. If I'm playing esports, I prefer PC. Okay. If I'm playing like adventure games and stuff like that, like Assassin's Creed, I love it. So okay. okay. All right. So I'll finish up with the gaming terminology quiz here because we're like we're pretty much right on schedule. So okay, so MOBA. What is a MOBA? Multiplayer online battle arena. 
Okay, and that would be League of Legends, Pokemon Unite are two of the examples from... Yeah, um, usually it's like a face-down kind of uh, arena sort of thing, and you've got lots of people playing at the same time. Usually strategy. Okay. Uh, RTS. RTS is... Oh my gosh, what is RTS? Oh, on the spot. oh that's okay. You don't need to Google. That's okay. This is okay. I'll move on to the next one. We're good. We're good. MMORPG. Okay. Uh, so RPGs are, uh, the ones where you are going to be playing a, a character. So like World of Warcraft, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I'm going to go AFK. Do you know what AFK Oh, away from keyboard. Okay. What is an NPC? That one a lot. <laughs> I've got kids, so I don't get to <laughs> play right now. I'm AFK all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Alec, I'll throw this in. Alec, do you know what an NPC is? I don't actually. And Melissa, oh. you- Non-player character. They actually, oh, that, I did know that. Yeah, they yeah, use those great. ones in uh, Minecraft. I thought non-playable character, isn't it? Uh, non-player character or a non-playable character, but okay. usually non uh, non-player character because you are not the person who's playing it. Yeah. Okay. This is my Skyrim yeah. test. Remember that. There is yeah. an NPC I believe that took an arrow to the knee in Skyrim. I think that was a pretty popular popular meme. Yeah. So um, DLC. Uh, the DLC. Oh my gosh, why am I getting all blank on this Lightning right round, now? DLC is downloadable content. Yeah. Okay. Um, Legends of Runeterra and Hearthstone are TCGs or CCGs, which are uh, TCGs or CCGs. Those are the well, I know they're they're card based strategy games, but I don't know what the acronym stands for. Trading oh card game. Trading card game. I think are collectible card game. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. Okay. Um, who is, and I'll use this in This here. is an example of how you don't have to actually know everything. <laughs> okay. uh, OP. What is something that OP in a game? Overpowered. Overpowered. What's a buff? Uh, that's when they, in a game, if they are looking at a character, it's kind of weak. So they give it a buff. It means they've given it more power, more abilities, okay. that kind of thing. They're making it stronger. Okay. And then a nerf. Alec, if you want to, this should be a, I don't know. We'll see. A nerf. A nerf. No. It connects it to what Melissa just said. So that would be the opposite of yeah. giving up. Yeah. All right. If character yeah. is OP, they will usually nerf it. Something that's actually really unique to esports, um, and it's different than just like regular game development, yeah. is that they regularly do patches. And so they the game itself never stays the same. It changes constantly. Depending on the game, it could be small changes every week. The, with League of Legends, they have big patches that come out every once in a while. And it com- like season to season, the game will completely change. Um, and so what it is, is like the items that you can get for your characters will change what it does and like oh. cool down times. And like, carry, like when I was talking about um, what I don't care whether <laughs> Ziggs is meta or not, it means that he's like strong in the game composition uh he usually for the past few years has not been (laughs) um but i still enjoy playing the characters it means that he's not very strong um compared to some of the other characters but he he won't get banned he won't get banned as well right no exactly because if you're op like uh yumi just had a really meta season last year and so you couldn't ever play yumi she was so broken that like it was banned first pick every time every time I, I kind of figured you'd like Yumi because she's a cat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this little cat like, character yeah. that attaches to the AD carry and <laughs> gives them all kinds of buffs and stuff. It's great. I've been, I, I, I've been replaying like Beat Saber a lot, and I feel like I've been nerfed because I'm tired these days. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I like it. Good. And I, I guess like, and this wraps up the lightning round. So well done. That was very good, Alec. Even good job to you. I tried. Um, 
I just want, like, I love, like, and I, I, what I love about these questions at the end, and you hear about, like, 80 carries and stuff, this is all, like, League of Legends terminology that we were speaking about right there at the end, and, like, that's that passion, like, your students have that out there, the teachers that have that, and, like, if it felt like it came out seamlessly, and it was, like, this language of this whole other word, that's exactly what it is, um, and there is that engagement and that, like, passion about it that exists for a lot of your students, so, um, I, my next question normally, what's your tip for the teacher, but it is, like, just get your feet wet, pick a game, or pick something, ask your students what they're interested in, and start there, so I, I'm gonna cover that for you there, um, but, uh, go to Esport Canada. Check out that research paper. Um, is that pa- or that chapter? Is it available on Esport Canada? Uh, I'm not allowed to release that chapter okay. publicly. You have to buy it from the textbook. So if you're interested, maybe it's a resource that you could pick up for your school district. Okay. Okay. Or just hey, send send a message. Maybe like uh, Alec or I or you can just say like, hey, this <laughs> is a really good point from it that I would use for an admin too. Uh-huh. But um, apart from that, is there anything else I can plug for you, Melissa? Um, I guess we have a really great season coming up. So even if you've never done any esports before, um, we are going to be doing uh, Rocket League and we're going because it's a national open. Um, we're going to be tiering it. So for Rocket League, it's race cars playing soccer. Um, and so we will have a middle school and a high school division. And we're also splitting them based on skill level. So if you are unranked, so if your kids have no idea what rank they are, they're unranked. Um, so unranked to gold and then platinum to SSL, which is like your professional level. Um, and so we'll have two tiers of all of that. It's a six week season. So you play uh, a couple games every Thursday night and then we wrap up with the national finals. Um, it'll be really, really great. Sorry, turn my phone on silent. Uh, <laughs> should have done that. Looking at the clock too. Hockey's coming up right away. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely getting into that. Um, contact me. I am happy to help. And one of the things that we're doing at Esport Canada specifically, um, I know we didn't get a chance to get into this, but there are a lot of um, corporations that see this untapped market and are trying to get into our schools. So you will likely have even heard at this point of various companies, usually from the US, or they might have given themselves a Canadian sounding name, um, but uh, that they're trying to get in. And so what we're doing is we are setting up conversations with educators in various provinces to help you guys facilitate a conversation, a discussion about where you want esports to go in your province so that it remains within the realm of focus um, and and priorities of education. Um, We are completely volunteer run. We do not take any um, money or funding for what we do. This is, it's a passion project from the people who do it. So we'd love, if you're interested in starting a conversation or getting connected with other people from your province, reach out and we will, we've got a conversation happening next week with Newfoundland and hoping to set one up with Saskatchewan soon. Uh, Ontario just started their foundation or their uh, provincial organization last month. So lots is happening. And I, I guess I'll emphasize too, like there is that Discord, like if you are wanting to start to connect, like through the eSport page, there is a Discord community of a bunch of teachers across Canada that you can start asking questions and get connected with too as well. Yeah. So um, I, I will say thank you so much. Alec, you're, you're, do you have anything else to add, Alec? I'm just thinking we need teacher ed to do this. Uh, I don't know of any teacher education programs or, that are supporting eSports in this way. So it's making me think a lot that we need one here in Regina or elsewhere at least. Okay. And I do want to, you mentioned the full volunteer thing, Melissa, like you're still teaching on the regular. Oh yeah. I'm like a full-time regular teacher. Days plus this. So like, thank you so for much free for on the side. Time. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so Impressive much. Stuff. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, 
I, I'll just close with this little thank you piece and it's going to be a buzzer beater and then we'll be done. But I, <laughs> I want to emphasize, I said before, like I was so excited about this interview and I love what you're doing for kids. Um, I think of uh, some of my closest friends in my life right now are friends that I made through gaming and through this together. And I remember when they finished high school saying like school wasn't really for me. I, ne- I didn't fit in. I didn't feel like there was anything at school that actually like made me feel like I belonged to a community. And like, I really do see this as the vehicle to help make that happen. So like the, the young versions of Logan out there, the young versions of my buddies and stuff that like that there is going to be there is a growing community that is available to you and it's because of you melissa so thank thank you so much at least in canada it's because of you melissa so thank you so much for your passion towards this and thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Melissa. I, I forgot to mention this in the introduction, but she, she's also a mother of two in addition to all those other, um, like the all that eSports stuff, it's extra. It's in addition to a regular uh, regular daily work of uh, being a teacher as well. And Melissa also came to us from Treaty 1 territory, which is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and is on the homeland of the Métis Nation. And I want to make sure I point that out, which I will do some other acknowledgements at the at the conclusion of this recording as well. So um, in listening to it, and I, I'm going to focus on the terminology piece, and as we were going through it, I started panicking, thinking I, I got one of them wrong. So if you are a gamer out there and I did get one wrong, hit me up and let me know so I can maybe apologize to Alec and Melissa for sealing feeling like maybe I knew all this terminology, which I, I Googled a bunch of it. So to confirm I was in fact right, but most of it I think I would have I would have got anyway. But um I think I, I really appreciated in that lightning round just hearing her her passion about gaming and stuff. And like you I said it then and I'll say it again now. Like when you hear about Melissa talking about Yumi, a character in League of Legends being broken um, hey, there's this is my homework terminology test for you, the listener. What does broken mean for gaming in that context? And I don't know if I said what RTS was, RTS, real-time strategy, which you would have heard Melissa pegging uh, Alec for uh, being a StarCraft fan. Um, and yeah, that's there's, there's a real-time strategy for you as an example as well. But um, over the interview, like we, we hit on... It, we hit on so many uh, different wonderful topics that like when you think of it being like an hour long interview, like holy, we packed a lot in there. But to, to revisit a couple, like I, I loved how Melissa mentioned the importance of mastery and practice and the connections that exist, I guess, between like gaming competition and sports. Um, and I guess I, I just really want to emphasize that one more time that when, when we think of gaming and competition, there is some of those negative stereotypes that Melissa said associated with the typical gamer and like, with eSport Canada, like it's about competition, it's about performance and progressively getting higher and higher performance and, hey, to perform better, um, a lot of those better performance things are associated with better practices for your health and well-being that includes eating better, sleeping right, and uh, you know, being physically active to help increase that. So um, I, I like that as a using gaming as well as uh, for those of you that may be like phys ed or um, health teachers out there that there is an entry point there for students to uh, maybe start getting involved more on the physical side if they if they are fitting that gamer stereotype, as previously mentioned, that just doesn't necessarily maybe take the best care of, of their bodies, um, that, hey, like, 
being a better gamer could be something that could be a, a lead in for getting more of that, uh, more of an emphasis on health and health and physical well-being. So, uh, additionally, we talked. Uh, there was so many different uh, contemporary issues, I guess, that we worked in that I, I would argue are very cross-cultural, and we kind of talked about them there there as well. But like Blizzard Entertainment um, was one that got mentioned. They have some sexual harassment allegations that they hey that could be worth exploring in terms of. Um, yeah, if you're wanting to explore that in English class or something like that and look at what uh, how, how that's kind of shaking out and what steps are being taken there, uh, which they got purchased by a new company, which in theory puts it in a new direction. We talked about Gamergate, um, which you heard in the interview. We talked about that. We talked about pay to win. We talked about free to play games, free to play games. They, you're giving up something, even if it's free. And I, we kind of briefly touched on this too, but something that I would say is another connection piece into sports, like cheating and certain mods for games, which are like modifications that could be made to games or like hackers. Um, that's something that exists as well. in like the East, maybe not, it's probably better regulated in the esport world, but in the gaming world in general, that um, when we think of sports in general too, like there is a lot of, uh, cheating that maybe is associated with it maybe gets caught or doesn't get caught but again it's something to talk about in terms of i guess how it exists and like how to navigate and what what discussions could be had about what's what's morally morally right in the gaming world as well like there's a lot of things that can be done with the nature of being a technology based or a, a digital platform that um, people who are very good at coding or have a good understanding of how games are constructed and built and how they behave and interact online. Um, that there is definitely a loaded thing to, to discuss there with your students as well. And I guess even too, like we talked a little bit about like with pay to win or like buying skins and stuff like that, which is like the, the, covering that you can buy for the different avatars you can buy for your characters in games that there's even like the, that virtual social statusy space that exists as well that I think is fascinating I think of like a current fad which I don't know how long it will last but it's it doesn't feel wildly dissimilar to like Wordle right now with everybody sharing their green and yellow squares based on when they figured out the Wordle Wordle of the day um, that I guess I really want to bring attention to that one more time is remember like all these different issues like that exist in the non-virtual world very much exist in the virtual world. And in some cases with the anonymity that's associated with it, it can be much more um, prevalent and harder to police, I guess, too, that I appreciate when Melissa mentioned like that they're, they're in these spaces and as educators, we have an opportunity to provide education so they can navigate these spaces better as opposed to maybe just, um, just avoiding it. Um, so yeah, and I guess it builds on that, but talking about inclusion in these online spaces or even just with uh, gaming and esports in general, like when when teachers can facilitate and support some of these issues that we've talked about, it, it can be a good space for, for all students. Um, and it's, it's kind of a common thread across some of the, like gaming specifically might be more of a, what am I trying to say? I mentioned like the stereotypical, like there's certain students that maybe you would think are like gamers, but really it, it, it connects across all these different groups and it really gives an opportunity for these students to connect with others. Sometimes maybe you're in a rural setting and like online gaming or online interaction in general, you can find other people that are like you that can make you feel a lot more like you're in a community that may be more difficult to find in small town settings. So, um, and we talked a little bit about Minecraft edu, uh, edu edu. Um, letting students create and represent their learning in new ways that may not be like a traditional write-up, but it's meaningful to them, which is good uh, good representations potentially of learning. Um, 
And I guess, yeah, coming back to that, like that's a good piece to get students using something that they're comfortable with, familiar with to get, uh, get, get learning and also showing us their learning. So at the end of the day, Melissa, as she, as she mentioned, like it, it's about the students and, and gaming can be that entry point for them into the gaming or into the STEM community. Um, and it, it can provide opportunities for very, very relevant learning and making very meaningful connections with people within the school, but also across Canada and uh, internationally as well um, to make these long lasting relationships facilitated through esport and and gaming. So I guess if, if you are somebody who's hesitant to it, really dip, dip your toe in the water and, and see what it's like. Cause it, it really is. And if, if you do have the opportunity to talk to and listen to some of your students, like it really is something that students find a home um, in, in these communities. Um, so yeah. Um, and I guess Alec mentioned it too, though. My, my last two bits ish, the Alec mentioned how, um, there's a lot of open, open support groups as well online for different games and stuff. Like I, I think of Reddit, which like obviously a very, very large social media platform that you may not find always good stuff on there, but a lot of different games and whether it's esport games or games in general have these big open communities of people who are just willing to help other people as well. Um, that there's a cool theme to that, that uh, as well, like they can become someone who is a, a good digital role model as well. Um, and they, they translate, these skills translate to their, their day-to-day interactions, maybe out of the virtual world, but there is a cool community that exists online as well, that people that are just willing to help. And there's plenty of different things that may be available for you as a teacher as well to maybe start to make sense of some of the things in the gaming world. If it is unfamiliar to you, um, Melissa mentioned a bunch of the different expertise that kind of gets involved into game, maybe game creation, but also just being involved in the esport world as well. Excuse me. Um, and we kind of briefly touched on like Twitch and like content creation of some things. But if you um, if you are wanting to look at like how complex games are, like look at the the budgets or credits for some big ticket games. Like and Call of Duty might be the first one, or Fortnite might be the main ones that come to mind. As I feel like those are the ones that I hear my high school students still talking about the most. But if you can look at how many people it actually takes to make these games. Um, I think it provides a really good opportunity to look at what different careers and technology can actually connect into gaming and again be another entry point for students to to use their love of gaming to like start looking into things they may be passionate about because there's networking, scripting, animation, audio editing, artistry, like all that stuff is relevant to game creation that if it's something that you notice some of your students are passionate about, like the getting set up with esports can and might start to reveal some of that stuff and start giving kids a direction. If you find maybe that's something that they're, they're needing or wanting or hoping to get from their, their, uh, interactions with you as well. Um, suggested resources and learning, um, eSport Canada, go, go to the website, check it out. Um, there, it really is a pretty streamlined process. Um, I would say like as someone who's like mildly familiar with the gaming world, um, I found it very easy, but I would say in general, like it, it really just spells out the steps, like step one, find out what your kids are playing. And I, I really appreciate Melissa mentioning that, like make it authentic to them. Um, ultimately it's about them. We're not just putting together an extra curve to force them to be in something, but, um, yeah, find out uh, what it is and they can really walk you through the steps and book a consult if you still are um, a little bit unsure about how it is. That There should be a link there that you can go about doing it. And if, hey, like the, Melissa mentioned a bunch of the different games in there too. If, you, if you're not sure still, like pick one of the games. Like download, <laughs> if you have a platform that you can play it on, download Rocket League or get Pokemon Arena, no, Pokemon Unite on your phone um, and give it a little checkout sort of thing. It may be completely, like most of the games come with pretty good tutorials now that can talk you how to, 
tell you how to do it. But, um, yeah, it could be something that could be worth exploring. And, hey, if, even if you got kids, it wouldn't apply to me yet because my little one's still just a little bit over a year. But if you do have kids, like, get get play some games with your kids if you can, too. Like, I'm sure that can help you kind of get your, your feet in the door as well. And I, I imagine, uh, I know back in the day, I loved it when my dad played games with me. So um, if I'm sure your kids would love to play some games with you, too, if you're wanting to just kind of get a feel for what the landscape of the gaming world is like, too. Um, we talked a little bit about some game design platforms as well, and most of them are free to use. Um, I mentioned, I think, Unity and Unreal Engine, but there's Game Maker Studio. There's Construct 3, which I haven't used before, but it apparently is rated quite well. But if that is a direction you're wanting to go to in terms of uh, a, a designing or getting students kind of working on game design and working in some of that coding knowledge, uh, that's totally a direction that you could go as well that also have a lot of good tutorials and ways to, to teach your students how to make games and stuff, simple games. Um, so, yeah. Ah, our Learning Pathways connection for this one. This uh, particular week, our Learning Pathway connection, which if you look on Let's Talk Science, you should be able to learn more about um, whatever topic you would like in terms of Learning Pathways. But this particular pod, I would say, connects best to the technology-enhanced Learning Pathway. Um, but cross-curricular, uh, we, we could work that in as well. And as I mentioned, like with the multifaceted complexity of game games and game creation, like it's... I know, we could probably work in some STEM, uh, science and technology, mathematics that's associated with all that too. Um, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's mostly what I got what I got to tell you about this. Um, I will say thank you again to uh, Melissa, of course, and uh, always uh, always thank you to Alec as well. Um, I will get into our acknowledgments now. Uh, Melissa came to us from Treaty One territory, as I mentioned before. Uh, Another cup of coffee and keynote is virtually hosted and recorded on the traditional lands referred to as Treaty 4 territory, which includes the original lands of the Cree, Ojibwe, Soto, Dakota, Nakota, Lakota, and is on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Uh, we respect and honor the treaties that were made on all territories, acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past, and we are committed to move forward in partnership with Indigenous nations in the spirit of reconciliation and collaboration. And... Esport actually has their own treaty acknowledgement as well that they, uh, Melissa mentioned, they say at the start of every single competition. Um, and I'll share this as well because I think it's a, it's a good indication of uh, what steps they're, they're taking as well to be um, inclusive and acknowledge uh, reconciliation. Um, but Esport Canada brings together a community of gamers on traditional Indigenous land. While we meet today on a virtual platform, we respect the treaties made on this land and acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past and present. We dedicate ourselves to authentic alliances with Indigenous communities in the spirit of reconciliation and cooperation. So, yeah. Um, apart from that, I think I will just give you a one more thank you for listening to this. Um, if, if it's applicable, subscribe, like, share, let people know whatever platform you're hearing this on. And I hope you really enjoyed it. Send me some feedback to help improve it at Mr. L Petlak, M-R-L-P-E-T-L-A-K on Twitter if there's something that you think can be better with it. Thank you so much again for listening. Have yourself a great rest of your day.